This episode of The Tome is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using our affiliate links and for shopping at Amazon and DMs Guild using the links at thetomeshow.com or for supporting us as patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Fit for D&D uh, show. It is the Tome Show's fitness show. It is May of 2020. Uh, this is our monthly check-in inspired by the, the D&D fitness hashtag. Tracy, Sam, and I check in, uh, talk about how we're doing in our goals and dig into some topic or another. And sometimes we'll bring in guests uh, uh, like we have this week. So this week we're talking about the first half of the book, The Obesity Code. Uh, Tracy and Sam are here with me. Say hi, Tracy and Sam. Hi, Hi, Tracy and Sam. Sam. Perfect. (laughs) Saw that coming. But we also here in episode two have our first guest, David Nett. Welcome back to the Tome Show. (laughs) Hey, everybody. I I feel like a decade in between appearances is the right thing to do. Is that that the proper? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was, 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 what, 10, 10 or so years ago, you were doing a web series called Gold. Um, yeah, and, and we had you on talking about that way back in the day, and and you and I have sort of kept up, you know, on Twitter and and uh, what have you. Um, and then it occurred to me, like, hey, you're you're big on this D and D fitness hashtag thing, right? And so we got to chatting, and you're like, oh, I, I'm like, and I mentioned we were we were looking at this book, and you're like. I have this book. It'd be a great excuse to force me to read it. So, uh, so yeah, here you yeah, are. I've owned it for yeah for a while, so it was a good <laughs> excuse to read it. Thank you for that. David was on, you know, a decade or so ago, and and uh, but we've kept up. But you've uh, also uh, you do uh, you're out in the what L.A. area, right? Yeah, yeah. You you're you've been acting and and doing that kind of stuff, right? Theater and and screen and. Acting and, and producing and, and writing and, and all of that, you know, I've got a day job too, like so many of us out here. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, uh, my wife and I uh, are run a, a gym, uh, a small fitness studio. So, and uh, when I uh, was when I turned the year I turned forty, um, I decided to sort of turn my life around and, and find a way to get fit. And so, um, a good friend of mine uh, offered to train me. He was a, a CrossFit person, um, and CrossFit wasn't the right thing for me, I, I had never really had fitness in my life. I'm a, you know, Dungeons and Dragons basement dwelling, you know, nerd indoor kid. And so, uh, uh, I was, I didn't feel comfortable in that world. So we sort of figured out between the two of us and then with some other friends and partners, how to, um, make fitness appealing, uh, for us. Uh, and out of that came uh, a gym here in Los Angeles, but unfortunately doesn't exist anymore called nerd strong. Um, and there were a handful of us who ran that gym for, um, for four years together, and then it ran a couple more years without us. Uh, and, and then in the meantime, uh, my wife, Christy, and I have created a gym called Heroes Journey Fitness that launched last year. Unfortunately, is closed right now due to the pandemic and some construction, but we're, uh, we'll be back you know, when, when we're all able to open. So this is a subject that's very dear to my heart, uh, nerds and finding our path to health and fitness, whatever that means for us and for our bodies. Nice. Yeah, and, and I, I knew that about you. I remember seeing, I think it was from the, the Nerd Strong gym. Um, right. The Was it the big chalkboard? And it would have like the to-do list, but it was sort of like laid out, like earning your experience points or going on a quest sort of. <laughs> we experiment, yeah, we experimented with a bunch of things when we were doing Nerd Strong. We, you know, we, we had four years there. Uh, and then before we before we left that, that group and we tried a lot of different things, sort of gamifications and 
you know, theming and adventure style, um, just to sort of uh, in sort of our quest to figure out what worked best for us uh, for our healthy activity, um, what helped uh, people most. Most of the people that we served there, as at Hero's Journey now, um, are people who. Uh, haven't typically had a lot of uh, fitness or physical activity in their lives, either, you know, like me as a kid, just weren't participatory in that kind of stuff, or, you know, maybe they were when they were younger and it fell away. And the a traditional gym environment feels very intimidating to a lot of us, um, whatever our level of fitness, it still feels that way to me. And uh, uh, so creating an environment and workouts that made us feel welcome and loved and appreciated and that acknowledged that uh, one size fits all is never uh, never the answer for this kind of thing that everybody's journey is individual and uh, and that you know the if we bring the things that we love into a place that is scary like the gym it makes the place a little less scary a little more welcoming and warm and then knowing you're surrounded by people who share interests with you um, it's a little bit like being at a convention except that you're at a gym and going to work out so yeah nice so last this is our second episode. So our, in our first episode, uh, at the end of it, we all sort of set our own sort of personal goals for what we wanted to accomplish sort of in the next month before recording this episode. And so this is the part of the, the show where we sort of we sort of check in on that. We sort of see how everybody's doing uh, in terms of meeting their own uh, fitness goals and, and, and where they're at and, and that kind of stuff. So is there anybody who would like to volunteer to go first? And, and David, we're going to check in with you too, and you can just sort of tell us what you've been working on and how you're doing. Sure. Um, do you want me to start or one of you guys? Sure, if you would like to. You, you've, you've had the floor uh, recently, so that, that just flows. Oh, sure. Um, well, I actually have had a fitness goal, um, a specific health goal, I should say, over the past uh, few months. Um, I, uh, uh, and I think this was, as we talk about the book, I, I'm going to interject a lot of this stuff, but I, I, uh, I suffer from uh, chronic depression, and I had a really rough, a rough year last year, um, mentally, emotionally, and therefore physically, because that stuff cascades into your physical life. Um, and so I had blood work early in the year, as I often do. I went to get a physical and my blood, my cholesterol was quite high. I have, uh, it runs in my family, so I always have sort of high cholesterol, but it was alarmingly high. Um, and so I've spent the last three months trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, appreciate uh, uh, and and embrace a kind of lifestyle from when I was um, healthier, clinically healthier. Uh, and and then also change my diet a little bit uh, as a result of of my depression. My love language with food is sugar and especially candy. Um, and so the the way that I had eaten uh, for the previous six months had affected my body uh, pretty dramatically. And so uh, I actually just got my blood work uh, uh, back this morning too. It was a, like it's a weird fortuitous day today. I I did some. I did a body scan in preparation for this, and then I also got my blood work back and talked to my doctor, and I am on the right path. Uh, my numbers have, have come into more of a closer to normal range, although I'm still elevated in some key areas that I'm, I'm paying attention to. Um, so so uh, my goals were mostly around making sure I was uh, doing cardio as well as uh, strength work because I had fallen into a pattern of the things I like to do, lift heavy things and jump. Uh, instead of running or rowing or skiing. So incorporating some cardio back into my life and then uh, changing my diet, trying to be more reasonable about my sugar intake, um, which will dovetail nicely with the book when we come to talk about it. Um, so I, I feel pretty good about it. The beginning of the uh, of the pandemic uh, quarantine was a little rough. Uh, I think for a lot of us, again, I'm an emotional eater, uh, which is perfectly fine. It's part of how I cope with um, with my external environment being disrupted. 
Um, so it was a little bit up or down, but I'm, I'm doing better than I was three months ago, which is the most important thing. Nice. Uh, and so we will switch. I'm gonna just gonna go in order around the circle of what we what I see in the stream. So Sam, uh, tell us how your last month has gone. So uh, it's okay. Um, I am I'm down two pounds, but uh, as everyone knows, that's kind of now I've been down those two pounds for five days consistently. But like you know, two pounds, give or take two pounds for a person my size already. That's like you know water weight one day, right? Um, so I don't really consider that a win, but it's also not a, a lose either. So I guess it's maybe an even, um, I have probably, I've, I've walked, my wife and I have walked, um, not as much as, as I should have, but more than I probably would have if I wasn't being as intentional as I'm trying to be. So, you know, baby steps, right? Like that's, that's kind of what I keep telling myself. I'm, I'm having a really rough couple of weeks mentally um because of some i i i do some work in the summer that is uh related to the cdc so there's some uncertainty with that job and there's some uh uncertainty with you know am i gonna am i gonna get called in and and have to go work with a team of people and and possibly put myself in danger um and you know that of course gives my wife some heartburn and um you know, so there's there's some there's some mental emotional you know things going on there that haven't been the nicest of of days uh, for the past couple of weeks. But you know, I mean, I, I feel like overall, given given the in, the entirety of the situation and the whole COVID pandemic and the in, the entireness of everything that's happening, I feel like I'm doing okay. I'm 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 trying to do things every day that de-stress me so that I can actually sleep better and then I feel good enough the next day to actually take a break and step away and say, hey, let's go for a walk or let's do something more active or let's, you know, get away from the computer or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I feel like I'm making tiny baby step progress. So I haven't stepped back, so that's good, but I'm not making giant leaps forward either. But I think I'm okay with that. You know, I've made peace with that particular part of the journey. Um, I have listened to almost the entire book. So I've, I've gotten to about two thirds of the book, maybe, maybe three quarters even. Um, and so I think we're going to have a pretty uh, good conversation about that today because I have a lot to say, I think, <laughs> as a, as a, as a biologist. Um, right. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. There, there, were, there were big chunks of the book. I'm like, hmm, I look forward to hearing what Sam has to say about that, right? Because uh, of, yeah. of any of us, you have more scientific expertise and, and they're trying to lean on a, on a scientific premise. So uh, I'll be curious to hear about that. I should have started off by, by asking you to remind us what your goals were. Uh, I think it involved going on regular walks and and losing a certain number of pounds, right? So my so my goals, I I really hesitated last uh, the last episode to actually put a number on weight loss because for me it's not about the number, it's about sleeping better. That was my main sort of thing. Um, but but in the interest of having a, an actual measurable goal, I I did put a number on it. I said I wanted to probably, you know, I wanted to lose. If I'm being totally honest, if I'm on my game every day, I should be losing, you know, a couple pounds a week, at least a pound a week. And so that would put me at a square between four and six pounds, and I only lost two. So I didn't really meet my number goal, but my main overarching goal is actually to feel better and sleep better. So that I'm making progress towards. So I'm, you know, 
like I said, I didn't I didn't take humongous steps forward, but I didn't also I didn't step back either. So. Right. Good. So let's check in then with Tracy. Tracy, uh, re- first of all, remind us what your goal was, and then tell us how you did. Uh, well, and mine wasn't a weight loss goal. It was about keeping my blood sugar in a good level. And by and large, I did. Um, so one thing is that I've been doing. I've been doing my journey at least since uh, the end of January because my blood sugar numbers are up. So I think what we're about three months or so in, and it's usually a time when people need a break from. And uh, I, and the reason I'm saying that is for the last week or so has also been the first time that a lot of the stuff around uh, COVID really hit me and a few other things. So I kind of just took this past week off and I just want to be honest about that part. Um, and I also, because of, I did, I have been experimenting with more um, intermittent fasting, which we, I don't think we get into in this part of the book. Uh, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about, you know, 14 hours. So I still can even eat breakfast if I want. Uh, I'm just limiting the times when I'm eating. Uh, and I had tried to go a little more, uh, low carb, but I think it makes more sense to talk about that as we talk about some of the science and maybe either this episode or next. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So, so how do your, have your numbers, your blood sugar numbers, have they been, uh, steady or better or, or you, you track that, you track that a lot more. I don't like have the means to track my blood sugar easily. So you, I know you, you track, you track that a lot, a lot more. Yeah. So they, they've been fairly like at least even, and in some ways a little better, particularly my morning number when I uh, started doing um, the intermittent fasting and also eating a uh, lower carb. Uh, so those have been good and we're experimenting and learning about that stuff. Nice. Very good. Yeah. So, so my goals were, I, I set two goals. One, I'd, I'd started running uh, and I talked a little bit about um, the difficulty of, because of the pandemic, uh, getting to the gym. And, and I, um, I related to what you had said, David. Uh, I, for a long time, I, I've been outside of a few years to finish grad school. I've been a regular visitor of the gym. But when I go, I'm all about picking up heavy things, right? Because because it's more Very interesting. Like you do, you do it for a little while, and then you move on to something else, and, and you never quite get bored with it, right? I go running, and I or I'm on a treadmill, and I did, I'm bored out of my skull five minutes in, and and it yeah. doesn't do a lot of good, right? Um, but with the gym closed, that hasn't been an option. I don't have access to to decent weights in my home. I've got some light, you know, five pound things and whatever, so I could do a little bit with that. And my son has been, um, but I had started just before the gym closed. I had started trying to incorporate some running into my um, routine because. I recognized that there there was an imbalance in what I was doing with my workouts. Um, and so I started doing a little bit of running then, uh, and so I've just focused a lot more on that since the since I've been locked down. I can just do you know go out into the neighborhood or go to some local trails and whatever. Uh, and so I've been using the the Zombies Run um, app. Um, so I, pe- people in, in geek circles may be familiar with that, where it's sort of 
builds a narrative, builds a story that that you know you're you're a runner working for this t- for the local town in the zombie apocalypse, and you got to run out and get supplies or run missions and whatever. Uh, and they break it like I did the I was when we last recorded, I was doing the the five k training program. It's an eight week five k training program. It starts you off at the beginning. Uh, you know, week one is running for like 15 seconds at a time and then walking for a minute and then you know and and then the second week you build up to half a minute and then pretty soon you know after four or five weeks you're running more than you're walking and then by the end i ran an entire 5k and so that was um that was new as of from last week i I completed the program i ran the entire 5k i didn't for that one i did not allow myself to stop and walk a single time i ran the entire 5k um that's fantastic, Jeff. That's a big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I felt, and it was a hot day too, so I, it was hard, and I, but I felt good about it, right? Um, and, and since then, I've kept it up. I've, I've switched from the five k training program, um, and and then switched over to the regular um, app, um, which allows you to sort of set a slider, uh, sort of where you want to be uh, in terms of distance. And I, I was just setting it so that I was continuing to run a five k. Uh, and then it, it once you set it, the slider to a certain spot, it it moves it up and down a little bit for you. So I've run, uh, you know, I've run almost four miles the other day, and then today was a little less than three, but but it moves it for you just based off of where you put that slider. Uh, so I've kept it up. I've I've gone out running um, three times a week um, every week since we've since we chatted last, uh, and so that routine has been going really well for me. It's also a nice opportunity to get away. Um, you know, I, I, I run a different path through the nearby neighborhood, so I feel like I'm still connected to my community a little bit. And then once a week on the weekends, the whole family will will pack up and we'll go down to there's a, a river walk down down on um, in town here. And so we'll go run the trail. Uh, well, the, the boys will you know ride their bikes or their scooters or whatever. And uh, Megan will run. She, she's been a, my wife has been a runner longer than I have. Um, but she's injured her foot in the last few weeks, so she's been giving it a break and just walking and take. So that means she brings the dog, and then the dog gets to go to the trail, and we all have a good time, right? And so, um, so yeah, but but it's a chance to get out. It's a chance to go somewhere, get away from from the house a little bit, um, even during all of this. And so that's gone really well. Um, I also said I was going to try to on the days I wasn't doing um, running, I was going to try to do yoga. I have mostly done that um, Sundays because that was with your son, right? Yes, I was doing that with my youngest son, um, and, and I mostly did that um, every time there was a there was it wasn't a running day. I would go. I would do um, you know a, a thirty minute uh, yoga with Adrian from the Yoga with Adrian YouTube channel, uh, and, and I w- we would do yoga together. My my youngest son and I. He's eight. Um, and that, except for Sundays, we'd oftentimes end up missing out on Sundays um, because Sunday we don't have a routine. We don't have a schedule, right? And so it, it's hard to sort of force that time, right? During the other days of the week, uh, he, my, my son was in school doing e-learning and that kind of stuff. And so he was required to have, we, we put in his schedule, he's required to have like an hour of physical activity time every day. Um, and so he would just do yoga with me uh, a lot, you know, those three, four days of the week. Um, but now we're out of that too. So he doesn't have that routine. And so it's hard now that the, that routine is, is gone. It's hard to sort of keep that going. So um, we'll see how well I can get back, that, get back into that as we start to establish our new summertime routines. I will say for all of you, so four weeks is a very short time for habit forming. 
So, you know, the, I, I spend a lot of time with people who are new to fitness. Um, and typically it takes about 12 weeks to form a really decent habit. And the first four weeks are typically very hit or miss. Yeah. You know, we, I counsel people a lot to be very patient with themselves to, to, you know, to know that it's a process. Uh, the fact that all, all of you had some success during this first four weeks, it's a big deal. Uh, it should be celebrated. And I think we don't, um, we have a very, uh, I think an American, uh, hundred percent or nothing, you know, uh, just do it, you know, attitude. And so, the, and uh, and instant gratification. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's really easy to 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 get down on yourself early on. Four weeks is very little time to change a habit. Four weeks is also very little time for your body to respond to anything. So you know the the you know one of the things we'll talk about this I'm sure later or maybe on a different episode. But but uh, you know we I, when I'm counseling people about fat loss, if that is something that they're seeking. Um, de- depending upon the kind of person you are, if you're a person who can, who wants daily statistics and can emotionally uh, deal with the roller coaster that that can bring, great. But for most people, I tell them every eight weeks at, at most uh, to be weighing yourself because the body fluctuates up and down like you were talking about. And and uh, it just it's a uh, four weeks is a very short period of time for anything to happen for us physiologically, especially as we get older. Uh, and so I just I applaud all three of you for for uh, being able to, you know, to even to find success in those four, four, four weeks. That's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, no. And, and, and I normally wouldn't weigh myself very often anyway, um, even when I've been, you know, trying to get in shape and I've done weight loss challenges and all those things before, uh, for the very reasons that you mentioned. Um, but because we're doing this, I did want to check in every now and then just to see where I was. Uh, and, and I spent most of the last month actually up in weight a little bit from where I was a month ago. And then just this last week, it started to drop again. And so now I'm right back up where, where I was a month ago. So I, you know, I'm so like, I'm, I was so disappointed in, my, in myself during grad school that I, I, I crossed over that 300 pound line. Uh, uh, and I'm just barely, I'm at 304 ish now. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it wouldn't take a whole lot to duck under it, but I'm just, it didn't happen this month. So, but, but I'm, I'm enjoying sort of the, the trying to, the fitness piece of it more and to trying to do things that feel better more than the weight yeah. loss issue. So you say, you know, it feels like it shouldn't take that much to get that four pounds down, but well, that's like, shut up, man. That's a very like, again, modern fitness industry yeah. sort of uh, idea. It's a, right. it's a little bit, you can feel under the surface, even though we're going to begin to talk about this thing and I, and I know you and I know you're a positive person. There's a little bit of that uh, sort of built in societal guilt or shame that it hasn't happened fast enough. That's in, that we've all internalized. That's so can be so damaging to us and so dangerous as we begin this fitness journey. So it's being kind to you, remembering to be kind to yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, and I, and I say that mostly because I've, I've done weight loss challenges in the past and I've been able to lose, and I, I, I've been able to lose four pounds in a week or two. Uh, but that was with, and this is uh, apropos to moving into talking about the book that was using calorie counting. Uh, and I could drop the weight fairly quick for, for a short burst of time. And then eventually I'd get sick of it, uh, <laughs> cause it gets tiresome. Uh, and, and then over the you know month or two after I stopped paying attention to it, uh, it all comes back. Right. So, um, Hopefully, focusing more on the fitness, I can not worry so much about the weight, and the weight will do what it does, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I think that um, gets us to 
to the book then. We've, we've talked around the book a lot. So we read uh, The Obesity Code by, oh, I don't have it open, Dr. What's his name? Dr. Jason Fung. Uh, and he wrote this book. I found, it, I found his, the background to why and how he wrote the book interesting. Because it says a lot about, and maybe maybe I'm too much in my academic headspace, and I, and Sam gets that as well, being people with, you know, working as professional researchers, right? Um, like he he's coming at this from a perspective of somebody who works on what was it? He he's a liver specialist, uh, and and works with people that have diabetes. Tracy, you look like you wanted to say something. I think it was kidneys. Was it kidneys? Is he a nephrologist? I don't remember. That was my understanding. That could, but be, I could right. be wrong. No, no, no. I, 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 yes, I, he's he is a Canadian nephrologist. There you go. Thank you. It, it, I finished the first half of the book several weeks ago because we, as Tracy and I were discussing before the recording, well, I have overloaded us on our schedule for this this month a week uh, with books to read. So I, I finished it a while ago. So I, I'd forgotten that part. But yeah, but he comes at it very specifically uh, from from a kidney perspective and from a diabetes perspective, and having done other research and, and looked at other people's data and that kind of stuff. Um, he's which is telling. Like he's not a he's not a diet specialist right you know he's not and and, and maybe that's good because we're getting a different perspective um uh, but maybe that colors his you know part of me listens to the i listen to the audiobook part of me is listening to it while i'm running and i'm thinking to myself yeah but how much of what he's finding is he's a hammer and so every problem is a nail you know <laughs> so uh i'm curious to hear what what other people um what what experiences you had uh reading the book I, I would love to jump in here for just a second and say like I've got uh, I've got mixed feelings about the book thus far. Um, the uh, I think that there's parts of this that are going to be really useful to lots of people, um, but I uh, I have a fundamental problem with the base premise of the book, and that's that in the cu- first couple of chapters, uh, it's really hammered home how terribly obese we are and how terrible being fat is for your health and how terrible it is. Uh, that we weigh too much, um, and how terrible it is that uh, we've got this obesity ep- epidemic. There's very little, while there's much science later in the book, and he cites a lot of studies and stuff later in the book, there's very little foundational citation for this explosion in obesity and this terrible state that we put ourselves in in, in America. And, and uh, uh, the, there's a, it, we're meant to accept the basic premise that America is too fat and we're killing ourselves because of it. And it's a uh, it's a frustrating um, assertion for a handful of reasons for me. Um, first is that there is a uh, he talks he talks a lot about this explosion of obesity since the seventies. Um, if we look at the rise of healthcare um, of, of health insurance, uh, which we know began really in the seventies, uh, and the way that we as a society track uh, ourselves and track our health radically changed during that time. Um, and so I, I, I'm suspicious of the fact that there is some new obesity epidemic, if that is even a thing that's happening, without, uh, I think, a, a larger foundation of that. We, I think society has accepted that. It's a good narrative. It sounds scary in the 90s, especially we had, a, you know, that it was a big scary moment for us. And I'm not saying that it's not true. I just think that there's, a, there's an assertion 
the book begins from a place of uh, you are society, you are bad people, you are doing a bad thing, you are killing yourselves. And it's sort of a blanket assertion and assumption that we're just supposed to accept. Uh, and I, and I, I take issue with that because then everything that comes after, I, I feel like, is going to come from a place of um, repairing uh, something horrible that we've done to ourselves, repairing, you know, my uh, position of guilt or shame, which I think is counterproductive and unhealthy. And I, and I think from from the baseline, it, it's it, it feels like it's just coming from the wrong place. And I and, and I psychologically, uh, as well as maybe uh, 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 from a medical standpoint, that it bothers me. I think there's a there's not not a lot of allowance in this discussion for the idea that health means a lot of things and that mental and physical health are are linked, although he gets to it a little bit when he talks about cortisol, um, and that uh, different people who are genetically different, and again, he talks about the genetic components, or at least the inherited components of obesity, that different people are healthy at different weights, that weight is simply a measure of your mass, it is not a measure of your health. Uh, and so it's a, there's, a, there's an underlying sort of one-size-fits-all, we're in this terrible place mentality that, that bothers me about the book. It is uh, entirely possible to be quite healthy uh, and be what our society would consider overweight. It is also entirely possible to be what our society would be considered athletic and thin, like the cover of a men's health or a women's health magazine, and actually be less healthy than someone who isn't that, who isn't running a you know 7% body fat so you can see their abs. Uh, for many of us, if we got to that kind of a, a physical stature, that low of a body fat percentage, we would be badly unhealthy. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's just a... Again, that sort of the the idea that we are all suffering from an obesity epidemic that's foundational to the book because it's in the first chapters, but I don't think necessary for the rest of the book to exist is very troubling to me because it sets a tone for the book that I think is adversarial when it could be uh, more helpful. The other big thing for me that's a that's really problematic is that the discussion of obesity, obesity inevitably comes back to BMI, which is just the absolute worst measure of health. And the fact that any doctor at any of our health systems would use BMI at an individual measurement level just speaks to something that's broken in our conversation about health and about weight and about fat in our society. BMI was created, I don't know if you, sorry, I, I go on a rant about BMI <laughs> because it infuriates me because so many people come to me with like, I'm, you know, my doctor says that I'm obese or whatever, or my BMI is too high, I gotta get my BMI under a number. I've had doctors over the years who are trying to get me to change my BMI regardless of how my actual health was. Um, BMI was created in the mid-1800s by a Belgian uh, physicist and astronomer to measure the health of a population. Um, guy, uh, uh, Dr. Keyes, I don't know what remember his first name, Keyes is his last name. Um, it's, uh, it, was, it was conducted by doing like a survey of rural French male farmers to try to find like, you know, average curves of health because those were the, I think they were the French or Belgian, I think the doctor is Belgian. Because uh, they were the healthiest people that he could imagine, uh, and it's the the actual original calculations of that are not largely changed from the time that he calculated it in the mid 1800s. And you can imagine uh, how our health has changed, and just the simple bone density, if nothing else, has changed. The size of of a human being has changed. Um, it's a bad measure, even by the by people who use it. If you're taller than average or shorter than average, it skews the numbers because of the way, the simplistic way BMI is calculated. And it's it's uh, on top if of you're, it. All, if you're a bodybuilder, you're obese. You don't right? even have to be a bodybuilder. I am clinically obese right now. I did a body scan this morning on myself uh, so that we could have this conversation. Um, and I'm you know I am carrying a little more body fat than I am comfortable with. 
thanks to my massive sugar intake uh, during this time. But I'm certainly not uh, unhealthy uh, by any measure except my cholesterol, which is that way whether I'm thin or or heavier. Um, the uh, it's just a frustrating. Uh, frustrating that that is used as the basis of, of whether you are healthy or not. And, and finally, Keyes, when he built the, uh, the the algorithms, he said very clearly, this should be used to evaluate populations and never individuals. Like he was very specific about it because it isn't a measure of health. It's purely a measure of your height versus your weight. Uh, and, it, it's, uh, and so those things underlying this book, uh, to me, create a, a large problem with how we approach it. I think there's a lot of great stuff as the book goes on if you are interested in losing body fat for any number of reasons. But the, the basic underlying premise that we as a society are somehow broken or bad or degenerate because we carry more body fat than uh, than this BMI measure would like, it's just a, it's a dangerous premise, I think, and it's very frustrating. It was, it was sad for me to see that when so much of the book, I think, is useful. So sorry, that's my rant about this. No, I appreciate that. And you come from a, a perspective that uh, as somebody who works in the health industry that, that uh, the rest of us don't have. Um, I, I will push back a little bit because I feel like one of the big messages, uh, at least in these, these first sections that we read, uh, is that it's it's not like, I agree that he's saying that that our size or obesity as as a society is bad. I disagree that he's saying that it's our fault. Uh, in fact, he he very explicitly has this message of it's not our fault that that there are all these conditions that have led to to the obesity um, b- rate being what it is. Uh, so so I I I push back a little bit just in that piece. Uh, not that he's not saying that the obesity is a problem, but that he's not saying it's our fault that we're obese. Because we've been getting yeah, that information no, I, our whole lives. I, I agree with you. He's, he's pretty explicit about that. I think from my, it's more of a uh, – to me, it's more of a, um, uh, a dec- declamation against our society. More of a you know, society is broken because we're, we're too fat. And, and again, I think there's uh, – not only is it uh, – not only is that mindset, which is pervasive in our society – does it make it hard for those of us who maybe do want to change our lifestyles to feel good about ourselves enough to love ourselves enough to take that those steps? But it also creates uh, weird barriers for people. It is um, people who uh, have uh, high, you know, high BMIs, which again is not a measure of health, have a harder time getting good clinical care because doctors, many doctors, are indoctrinated with the idea that if you're fat, that's your first problem, and so people have a hard time getting care for their actual ailments. Um, People who are strong and who are fit and healthy are often looked down upon and dismissed uh, for for that. And it, so there's a fundamental like societal problem with how we deal with fat. Um, and while this book has lots of great stuff about how to change your body composition if you so choose or if you need to for health reasons or or whatever, but it it doesn't it perpetuates I think this sort of uh, 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 notion that. Uh, the fundamental problem is is that you all are fat. Um, not that it's your fault, but it's definitely but a problem. But, but, and I, and but I just, it's a problem that we're fat. Yeah. So yeah. I want to disagree. I, I want to disagree with something that you said a second ago. Um, me or David? You, uh, David. He, oh, okay. he said. Usually you disagree uh, you said with me. That, so. <laughs> yeah, I disagree with you too. But uh, you said that the book provides all sorts of things or ways that you can change your 
your your body to you know your your body composition and all that. Actually, I I got to tell you, I haven't heard a single thing that I can do in this right now yet. Now we're, I haven't gotten to the whole thing, right? So we're only talking about the first third of the book. Yeah, I will say I, I read have, the whole book, so I don't know where we broke up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I have not yet heard anything about how. I can make this information work for me. And, and, and I don't actually have a problem with him using BMI. I, I agree BMI is, is, as Fred says, hot garbage, right? It's hot garbage. <laughs> I, I agree. But, um, but I understand why he's talking about it because that's the only thing that some people know, right? When they go to the doctor, that's what their doctor tells them. Oh, this means bad. You know, so this yeah. is why I'm, I'm referring to it. Um, here's my issue with part of the book. He he sets some um, a premise here of uh, uh, three things that he mentions. He says um, we're not going to talk about animal studies in the book, which is fine. I, I don't disagree with that. That's okay, except that you're getting rid of a large body of data about mammals. But but that's fine actually for his purposes. It's okay. Um, he also keeps coming back to animal anecdotes, though. He says well, we're not going to look at animal studies, but he right right. But but then he says, and where where possible, I'm I I really want I I'm concerned with causative studies. I really want to look at causative studies. I am using some associative studies or some association studies. So here's what that means. That means correlation. He's talking about correlation. He calls them association studies. That's just a fancy word for correlation, right? But here's here's my and I am actually okay with that. Here's my problem. Then. 90% of what he presents is a freaking co correlation study. Almost none of what he presents is causative studies because we don't have them. Most of what he pre is presenting and then stating as fact because of this study or that study is all correlative information. And so does it really support what he's trying to say? I don't know. I, unfortunately, I'm also listening to it uh, as an audiobook. I, I listen to it while I do the dishes every day. Um, and uh, so I don't have like the – I know it has like a, oh, look at the chart on page, whatever. And I think that came with the yeah. audiobook. Like, I haven't that looked at that stuff, right? I haven't, I haven't actually sat down and looked at it. Um, and so I haven't actually looked at the studies he's citing, um, although I probably will by the time I finish the book. Um, but that's my main like – you know, and then he says this book is about obesity, not diabetes. But his main thrust is about insulin, and you can't separate diabetes from talking about insulin. You can't suddenly say I'm going to pretend like diabetes isn't a main focus here, and I'm only going to talk about insulin as a main driver of these behavioral and physiological effects that we have because it's directly related. Well, and that's kind of the the statement I made about how uh, to a hammer every problem is a nail, right? To a diabetes specialist, every problem comes down to insulin, uh, and and how much of what he found was confirming what he already believed, uh, and how much uh, is a, a comprehensive look at things. Tracy, we haven't heard from you yet. There's one reason that I'm being a little quiet, and that's because I have not only read the whole of this book. But Red, he has a separate one that, that where he does actually focus on the diabetes part of it and called Diabetes Code, I think. Um, but one of the interesting things is he wasn't a diabetes doctor. He was a kidney doctor. And the problem is there is connections between diabetes and uh, a lot of times kidney function and stuff like that. And my understanding is what happened was a lot of the patients that he had coming in for kidney issues happened to also be have been diagnosed with diabetes. And in order to treat the kidney issues that they were having, he had to 
help them get their diabetes under control. So, I, and I think maybe that comes out more later in the book. I also can't, it's hard to keep with the, with the same author. It's hard to keep two different books that I read right. pretty close together, completely separated with very similar sort of themes. Right. And so it was, um, and I'm just enjoying the discussion because I, like I said, I've read both of the books. Uh, I've gone through them. I, I found them somewhat useful and interesting, but but was also skeptical. So I'm just listening in on, on the conversation with people, uh, particularly, you know, Sam, I was super interested uh, because of your background uh, to, to hear more about what your thoughts were about it. And it is unfortunate that the whole first part of the book is setting up why he ends up making the argument in the second half. Right. Which I assumed was the case. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah. that's not too much of a spoiler, I think. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. And unfortunately for me, I got really bored. I'm already bored with the book, right? Because most of what he's saying are things I already, like if he cites a study or if he says, well, this shows this, so that means, right, I've already gotten there because I already, I mean, I teach I teach right. a, I teach anatomy physiology, so I teach about the endocrine system. Like I understand what's happening, um, so I'm 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 like I'm I'm sitting here listening to it, and I'm like, okay, 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 get to the meat of the what? Like, what is your point? You've convinced me that what you're saying has validity. Now tell me <laughs> what what you're actually trying to say. But you're not the so, typical audience for the book either. So. Yeah, I know, I know, well, I know. That's the interesting know. part potentially. So, and it goes back to. And I wanted to just posit this out there because I was I read through a lot of before I even picked it up, I had read through a lot of the comments on Amazon and other places about what people were saying about the book. And uh, one of the comments I read was that this book isn't actually really for the general person in the U.S. Like it's useful for them. But what it might be more aimed towards is helping convince their primary care physician who might be working with 20 or more years of out-of-date info as to why maybe this partic- trying this approach might be a good thing. And I was wondering both from like, particularly David and Sam how uh, you folks thought about that possibility. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably have a stronger sense of that if I was reading it in hardback right? Like an in-dead tree form. Um, but uh, listening to it, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have to think about that. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, so I, 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 I hear that. And I, to me, that makes a lot of sense across a couple of dimensions. Not that I'm a physician or, or, you know, a scientist. And if I was, it would have been the physics that I went to school for. Um, not this, uh, but for personal trainers and nutritionists and people like that, I think that the, the language of this book is very much the language of convincing those people. And I think it's a little bit um, the nature of a self-help book in general. There's a lot of repetition uh, because really when you're writing a self-help book, which I'm doing right now, full disclosure, you've got like (laughs) a third of a book worth of actual information and the rest of it is just repeating the same thing over and over to get your page count. And that's just the reality of a self-help book in part because it's how people learn and in part it's because of the publishing world. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, um, and it's a lot of a, a little bit of uh, of what uh, you know S- Sam was saying in that there's uh, a lot of science that's called out, but it's a lot of correlative studies. That it's mixed in with a lot of anecdote, um, and so and that to me, for better or for worse, is the language of the fitness industry um, calling on studies that maybe don't mean exactly what 
were put out there or were done on groups that are not the target group that you're talking to um, or were done a long time ago and, and, and irrelevant or, you know, partial studies or whatever, correlative stuff or or whatever. That's very much the bread and butter of the fitness industry. Not to denigrate the industry that I'm in, but it's very much that the bread and butter of that industry. So I can see, Tracy, where it would definitely be con- convincing a nutritionist or something like that to, 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 you know, sort of drift in this way or at least experiment. Well, and I wonder if it has, if it's effective in that regard. Like, it, I think about, so my wife read this book long before I did. She read it years ago. That's why I have it in my in my Audible libraries because she got it and listened mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and I think it was was really impactful for her. But then she sort of continued that journey uh, in terms of her her diet and, and fitness and whatever um, to the point that now she's very critical of a lot of the book as well. Like because now she's mm-hmm. let, read a lot of the critique and the people who came afterwards that talk about the problems with it or whatever. Uh, and then I think about like she and I several years ago had the same doctor. Right. And I went into the doctor and they're like, well, these levels are kind of high. We want you to start a, a low fat diet. Right. My cholesterol was high. We want you to start a low fat diet. Uh, and then my wife went in and they're like, well, your cholesterol is a little bit high, not as high as your husband's, but a little bit high. We want you to start a low fat diet. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this other thing. I'm doing low carb, low sugar uh, and what have you. It's like, oh, well, that sounds fine. Do that. And I'm like, well, then then which advice do they like? Why are they giving two different people different advice based on that response? Like, um, if if one of them is effective, why am sh- is she getting different advice than I am? <laughs> you know. So, and, and I think this is this is one of the one of the hard things about any kind of like a, a self help book, especially around fitness and nutrition and things like that, because I consume probably more than the average person, although I typically don't super enjoy reading them, is that it's. Depending upon the the uh, the voice, the authorial voice, there's a lot of this is the solution in the book, and in part it's because that's how you sell the book. But uh, it's just it's another what I would offer uh, maybe a dangerous premise in that there's it's, there's a one size fits all for anybody. Uh, it's a our circumstances are different, our genetics are different, um, our our emotional health and emotional life is different. The 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 levers of our lives are all different, and all of these things affect. Our health, our health and fitness in our body. And so there, there is not a one size fits all. Adherence is going to be different person to person. Uh, you know, the, it's, there's, there's, there's so many variables. And so I, I, I am, I am a proponent of trying things, healthy things, not, not starvation things or, you know, right. putting crystals in body orifices or anything, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but trying reasonable things because that's how we find the thing that works for us. Like I know, under what dietary conditions I thrive, but that's after seven years of experimentation within, again, within reason. Um, and I, for everybody that begins to seek a fitness journey, finding that thing, um, that makes you feel good, that ultimately has good outcomes and that you can also adhere to that's the Holy grail, you know, not necessarily a specific, you know, type of diet. Or something. And I guess my one question is, did, and I just, it's been a, a couple months now, I think since I've read it, did we get to the Atkins one for this one at all? So yeah, Atkins is toward the end of this first half. They talk about Atkins, yeah. Yeah, and then I've got I've gotten to that in the book, but we aren't actually supposed to be covering that. No, yet, I, th- I think it was. Talk, let's talk well, about it. No, I, th- I, th- <laughs> I think he talked about it in the first because I only read the first half. I didn't go any further, and I remember a conversation about the Atkins diet. Atkins diet was all the rage uh, a few years ago, and all that. Yeah. Uh, no, and in fact, I I can tell you about where the the halfway point was. 
because it was I got to the halfway point and stopped listening to it on the day I did my 5K. Um, and I, while I'm doing the 5K, I'm listening to the segment where he's talking about how uh, exercise doesn't matter. <laughs> so. so maybe we should talk about that one a little bit because because one of the things that I'm having a hard time with is um, I never walked away from any part of the book saying, thinking that he was selling one solution mm-hmm. for how to fix things other than potentially, and I know this is in the second half, but I already talked about it a little bit earlier, the whole idea of uh, intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating is another way people are putting it. Um, but even there, like, there's no prescribed, this is how you do that. So I'm very interested in, in and how it's co- how it came across that this is, like, the way or he, that he's selling a specific way of doing things. And I thought that came up a little bit in the Atkins section because part of the reason, I, most people know this even outside the book, that Atkins often doesn't work for folks is because it's so restrictive and so uh, prescriptive in telling you exactly what you can and can't eat and really nailing down like a small minimal number of carbs and stuff like that, that just made it so most people couldn't keep with it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the for me, the... The, the the single singular thrust of his book is is con- that controlling insulin and to a lesser degree cortisol in your adrenals is how you control your weight right and and he, you know he does have chapters in there that say specifically one of the chapters is called I can make you fat and there's one called I can make you thin um, and and he doesn't suggest that you should artificially suppress your your insulin or increase your insulin but just demonstrating that as far as he's concerned that is the dial and and it's not. I'm not a scientist who can say it's not the dial, but as far as the book is concerned, that's that's the dial. And and uh, and I think the exercise thing is really interesting uh, to me um, because he's so focused on fat loss. Um, the the exercise doesn't work is, um, and I don't I don't actually generally disagree with him in the sense that um, when when do people join my gym or when they begin their health journey, I often ca- counsel them that. You know, you, you, in my mind, you don't exercise to lose weight. Um, there's lots of things that we can do if you want to lose fat uh, and we can attack them from different directions, but largely that's about food. Um, what you're eating, why, how much, when you eat, all that kind of stuff, um, along with physical activity, which is very important. You may find that you lose weight coming to the gym, depending upon what you do and keep it off. If you go, if you're consistent, you may find that you gain weight. If you put on a bunch of muscle, you may find that for two years and two years is a pretty consistent plateau. You do a great job and then things plateau and you start to backslide because you're aging and your basal metabolic rate is changing and all, all of these inputs and things that he talks about in the book. But there's, but there are reasons to exercise beyond just right. trying to burn fat. And he says um, that and, in there as well. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that, and that's, that's the big thing is if you're, when you're, when you're just looking for a, uh, a weapon to, to solve the problem that he's trying to solve, um, exercise alone isn't, you know, the kind of 1980s idea that you're going to burn calories. And one of the things that infuriates me again about the, my industry is when you see, uh, like a, Barry's boot camp out here in LA is very popular and they guarantee a thousand calories burned in every workout. And it's just, it's mad. Cause it's not, and, that's not. The point. And, um, having diabetes type two, when I got pregnant, 
so one of the reasons the book was kind of it was also super interesting to me. So when I was pregnant, I had to go on insulin because most of the medications that help control blood sugar aren't health aren't considered safe. That doesn't mean it's unsafe, but it's not safe during pregnancy. And so I had to take insulin, but the doctors, everyone was like freaking out that like make sure you don't gain weight because insulin will help you gain weight because that's part of at least according even according to them what it does so it was very interesting reading those chapters and I do have like my uh, family has a history of diabetes and again like you know the idea that we know that this drug that this thing that you need and some people do absolutely need it and then a lot of times it is used for treatment for insulin resistance does tend to lead to weight gain uh it is kind of hard sometimes to fathom that that is the best that we have for treating if if other things don't work uh, and that's where I was like super interested it because I think Sam you've done some stuff and work in this area what if you had like is that all just a lie <laughs> so so here's here's the here's one of my major problems with his with his thesis okay um, when you look at hormones hormones um, activate target cells in a couple of different ways he presents it in the book my, my first issue is he presents it as though it does it one way and that's not true i think he just did it to be make it more simple though so i'm okay with that um also by the way there's a couple of factual inconsistencies in chapter three but that's beside the point as well i think it was just for time he just made it <laughs> he just sort he's it just didn't get caught in the proofread right so sam is a, sam is an academic so he spends a lot of time saying this is wrong but it's fine let's get to the thing that i'm really upset about <laughs> i want to call it out because i want people to know that like this book is not perfect like the things he's saying are not 100 percent right on and they're not 100% right off but there are some things in it that just got missed in editing or or whatnot that you know that are are technically untrue but in this case it was about different hormones not insulin so that's why I say it doesn't really matter because it doesn't affect theoretically now I'm I'm doing air quotes now because it doesn't technically affect his premise except let me give you a little lesson when hormones get secreted most of them, so there's there's two types of secretions, but most of them get secreted and they go into the bloodstream and they move around the bloodstream and they find target cells and they get access to cells that have receptors for them because they travel through the blood. But cells don't, no cell just has one type of receptor. So many, many types of cells, no matter where you are in the body, will have different receptors that can be activated by multiple different hormones. And what that means is that it's not ever just one hormone interacting with that cell. And so hormone interaction becomes really complex. And you can see three general patterns when hormones are trying to affect the same target cell. One of the patterns is called synergism. And that is where if hormone A is present around that cell, it will activate that cell to a certain extent and cause some kind of effect. If hormone B alone is is there, it will also activate that cell by itself and have some sort of effect. If A and B are there together, the effect they produce is far more than just a linear addition of those two hormones together. It's a different effect altogether on a different scale, okay? That's one way they can affect each other. 
The second way is they can be the opposite of synergistic, which is antagonistic. They could cause, you know, one hormone shows up and causes a, a change in that cell so that it no longer listens to the second hormone if the second hormone happens to show up or vice versa. And sometimes it's concentration dependent. It's not whether one or the other is there. It's the concentrations of the two of them. It also has to do with time of day and what other hormones are there and all that kind of stuff. That gets really, really complex Sometimes that pathway is in a completely different loop, physiologically speaking, but it affects that organ or it's sometimes directly on the same cell. So that suddenly is really, really complex. He treats it in this book like it's very dead simple and it's not. The third way is permissiveness. A lot of times you have a hormone that comes along and when it affects the target cell, it acts as a primer so that now that cell is able to listen to a second type of hormone that comes along. And if you hadn't had that permissive first hormone come along, when the second hormone shows up, that target cell isn't able to hear the message from that second one unless the first one was there already. Okay, so now think about this. I'm just describing hormone A and hormone B in all three of those circumstances, but now imagine there are seven hormones and there's four different kinds of cells and the concentration of each of those hormones matters, and the numbers of receptors on each of those cells matters, and how much, uh, how, what the density of those types of cells are in that area or that organ matters. Now, throw that into the pot, and you have a big, giant Italian wedding soup with all kinds of different <laughs> things in it that when you pull out a spoonful, it's going to be different every time. Okay? So... I'm not, I'm not trying to make it overly complicated, but as soon as you start talking about hormones, it's never just one thing. And his, his focus is so one-dimensional, at least when I've gotten to the point in the book where I'm at, it's so one-dimensional right mm. now that I, I don't even know where he's going. I mean, I do now because Tracy said it, but I, I wasn't <laughs> sure. Right? I'm and I'm sorry. Not, okay, right? No, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm not. I don't get spoiled, right? Like, but it's, it's you know not what a I story. Mean? <laughs> it's yeah, right. Sam, uh, Sam, you're amazing. This is a this this explanation is wonderful. I really appreciate uh, this. I think. Uh, do you know the Gestalt principle? The um, this is from my math background, but there's a the idea that the oversimplification of a thing uh, becomes the thing in the public's eye, and you lose the ability to for the thing to have meaning any longer because it's yeah. it's been oversimplified too far. That's uh, well, and here's here's the other thing. I'm not even I haven't I, in that activation discussion. I didn't even mention how you monitor hormones and how you regulate their release. Right? There's three different ways to do that too, and it matters what the physiological state of that organ is. How how that like you know the release of insulin. It's not just oh you ate a bite of food suddenly insulin's released. That's not really how it works. Um, so I, I just. I just want to caution people, right? Like anytime you read a book like this, on some level, they have to kind of dumb it down. I hate to say it that way because it's not really dumbed down. It's not, I, I don't mean that like the author is assuming everybody's stupid. That's not what I mean. And I don't assume everybody's stupid, but, but it has to be written in a language that tries to make it as simple as possible so that the understanding can be conveyed. But at some point, as you said, when you get to this gestalt where you have simplified it to the point where it has no complexity at all, 
you've lost the meaning of what's actually happening. And therefore, your solution can't actually address that thing in its entirety, because the only thing your solution addresses is the singular gestalt idea that was presented or that that was the manifestation of that presentation. And I and I don't think that this doc you know, I, I'm not saying all this as a critique to say that this doctor is lying or that he's misconstruing things or anything like that. I think that he did a really good job of going through the literature and going through studies and trying to synthesize a lot of disparate material, but it's still it's too simple. It's too simple. It missed a big chunk of what's going on. And when you're saying it's too simple, you're not even and in part because you don't know exactly where it's going yet, you're not even countering it fully or saying that it was wrong. You're just saying it's hard to, like, if you were to use the evidence he's currently presenting uh, and get no further evidence, it would be hard. Any conclusion he came to would be difficult for you to feel comfortable with. Is that right. kind of where you are? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because insulin itself, you know, so here's the other thing when a hormone acts on a target cell, it doesn't always just make the same response. Like it's not true to say, well, a hormone attaches to a target cell and it makes that, that, that target cell produce proteins, right? Or a hormone attaches to that target cell and it makes that target cell secrete its own chemical, or it makes that target cell work faster so that the metabolic rate of that cell increases. Like all three of those are possible. Which one is it? Well, it depends. It depends on what cell you're talking about, how many receptors were activated, how much hormone concentration is there, what the other physiological attributes are in that local area as well as in the organ as a whole. I mean, it suddenly gets really complicated. It's never just that easy. So, yeah, I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm saying it's really hard to not say, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what if this happens? Well, what, you know, and he kind of, he kind of says that because he says, some at some point i remember him saying something about you know lots of people go to the doctor and they get a pres- prescribed you know medication or a prescribed diet and it doesn't work but then he goes on almost in every case goes on to say well here's why it didn't work and then he gives you some reason why you know in it, calories in doesn't equal calories out and so it supports his premise but maybe that's not the reason why it didn't work for that person plus that was a correlative study so you can't Right, like, <laughs> right. Although, on the other hand, going back to what you're saying about uh, how complex hormones interact, it all calories in and calories out is also a huge oversimplification that he's trying to counteract. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And exactly. But that's kind of what I mean, though, is that he presents this structured, you know, here's all the things that goes into that. Right. And I, I took notes when I was listening to this. It, you know, he says uh, the basal metabolic rate, the, um, uh, the oh, here I wrote it over here, the basal metabolic rate, the thermogenic effect of food, the non-exercise activity, thermogenesis and the epoch excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. OK, I teach about all of these things. Right. So. I mean, and then exercise itself. And he's right about what he says about that is true, that you can't just take one of those things and suddenly make it the item that affects this the most. Like it does depend on physiological state, how much each of these, how much each of them is a dial that's turned and what effect that has. That's absolutely true. But then later on, he goes back simple and he takes these studies and he says, well, here's why 
this study showed that result. Here's why this study showed none of these people lost weight. Or here's why this – and he tries to make it simple again. So he spends, he spends a lot of time saying that uh, previous approaches oversimplified and then he turns around and oversimplifies in his own way. Right, right. And I, and I think part of that is because of – not to keep dominating the conversation, but I think I think what David said earlier was true, right? That part of that is because – He's trying to get people to understand all of this in a simple way so that they're able to absorb it all. And he's very repetitious. And that and it's true, repetition, that's how you learn, right? So is somebody reading this or watching it, they're gonna go, Oh yeah, I remember you said that earlier. Now tell me more about it. And so that's why he's doing that. Otherwise the book would only be, you know, three chapters instead of twenty. Um, so I get it. I, I'm not trying to like throw the guy under the bus. I totally understand why it's laid out this way. But as a scientist, I can't help but see these issues that feel a little bit disingenuous because his whole focus is on insulin. So I think at one point I was thinking that we might We've been very critical and that it might be good to say yes. – to have a conversation about what we are getting out of it. Um, but I think it's going to – that's going to be a better conversation after we've read the the second half anyway where he's actually pers- uh, making suggestions about things. And, and we're well uh, over our expected time. But it looks like David had one last thought he wants to get in. Uh, and we still have to talk about our goals. But yeah. I do have something positive to say about this. So, so I, I, love I do this. too. So I'll go after you and I'll say a positive thing about it too. And then Trace. The discussion is so, so fascinating and so wonderful. And I think basically, I mean, it's it's, a, it's asking us to think critically. It's asking us to think broadly. I, I think about ourselves more holistically. And and, and Sam, your discussion about, about uh, uh, hormones is wonderful because it, it reminds us that there's a holistic system at play, you know, and I think that's so critically important whenever we're talking about our health. Um, what I do like about this is it does – uh, uh, help. I think I hope it would help a reader understand that um, first, th- they're not a failure because previous caloric uh, deficit diets haven't done for them what they want or they've gained their weight back. And helping us understand about potential long-term damage that we do to our metabolism um, when we do caloric restriction. Something that I think is wildly underreported uh, in the fitness world. When you restrict, your body compensates, and you don't always get that back, especially as we age. So watching, making sure you don't do damage to yourself in these, in these processes is super important. And the other thing that I really like is I, I, I do, while he's, he's uh, clearly oversimplifying this, I do like the discussion that um, he talk, touches on cortisol a little bit toward the end of this first part that we read. Um, and the idea that uh, when we are under stress, our bodies behave differently. Our different hormones are are activated and the hormones that are do different things. And and I think that's a critical uh, part of our understanding of our health uh, writ large, whatever you're trying to do to your body, understanding that if you, if you're, if you can't find a way to get appropriate rest, your body's going to, you're going to have diminishing returns, whatever positive things you're doing. Um, Whether you're sleep deprived because you're an insomniac or because you're taking the, you know, the American idea of working yourself to death and that's the way you gain uh, prestige or whatever, you're, you're, you're potentially damaging yourself in that way. When we're in this time of sort of low grade or high grade panic all the time, because we're sequestered inside because of a pandemic, whatever we do for ourselves, that's positive is going to be dampened or mitigated or changed slightly because of the stress that we're under. And so letting people be okay with things not working out, maybe the way that they want to all the time and acknowledge that the stresses of your life, be they 
pandemic sequester, be they kids, be they lack of sleep because of work, or be they family issues, those things do affect you, and you have to have patience with yourself and roll with them. I, I, I loved that being part of the discussion because it's so important to, to recognize. All right, Sam, you wanted to say a positive thing? Um, I, I think that uh, despite my previous critique, I do want to say that he does a good job of bringing a wide variety of different types of studies in and showing how those studies were trying to show something that they thought was going to be the case and then that didn't happen. And that despite the fact that it didn't happen, you know, the, the food industry went in a certain direction and that might be problematic, but it's not because our studies necessarily are flawed or it's not because uh, the people um, performing those studies or participating in those studies were just bad people or were just inherently flawed. It's just that we didn't have answers for a very long time because some things work for some people and some things work for others. And you couldn't get a study that was wasn't contradictory for a really long time. He does a really good job of laying all that out and, and kind of doing almost a historical perspective about um, dietary research and how the different governmental uh, guidelines and food pyramids and all that actually affected in a broad range the population. Um, I think he does he does a decent job of that. And I think he as a as a non-nutritionist, right? He's not a nutritionist, but as a non-nutritionist, he did a really good job of bringing that all in and saying, you know, uh, basically all of these things tried to lead us uh, to be more consumer, right? To, to be consumers and to try to enhance our consumerism and also trying to help ourselves, but it's really not our fault because none of those studies actually showed the things that everybody thought they were going to show. So I, I do want to say it. he's really good at presenting the studies and explaining them and explaining why they didn't work, um, which is why I had a hard time answering the question in the beginning about is it written for like dietitians and right. physical therapists and whatnot in order for, you know, and for doctors, for, for patients to say, Hey doc, you know, you haven't looked at diet research for 20 years. Look at this new thing, right? Like I, I don't, I can't even go that far because I think he also tried to write it in a way that the general public can consume this book and understand what's happening. Yeah. Tracy, last thoughts. So I just want to also, I know I've kind of said it before, but you know, in, in, in particular for next time, like there was a lot of stuff in in the, my journey with the pregnancy and stuff like that that brought up a lot of the things that he talks about. So I understand confirmation potential confirmation bias, which is why I'm trying to go back and and have this second look at it and yeah. and talk to other folks about it. Um, but I thought it was really good in my mind to have that historical background that Sam was talking mm -hmm. about, in part because so like I went through this whole pregnancy. Uh, I lost 40 pounds during the pregnancy uh, because of how I was eating uh, and even with the constant uh, stress of just the doctors because if your blood sugar is high during pregnancy, the in chances of certain types of birth defects that are pretty horrific increase. And then later on, the chances of uh, the pregnancy not going full term increase. So there was a lot of pressure to get it right. And then it was very strange to go through that process to eat better, to lose 40 pounds, and then be told uh, I had a stupid little uh, quiz at uh, with the healthcare 
thing that we had. It was like, are you eating enough whole grains? And I'm like, I'm eating hardly any whole grains because that didn't seem to really do well for me. But it was chiding me to eat six to eight servings of whole grains each day. And I was like, what are you doing to me? Did you see Fred's comments in the chat? No. Fred says that your your son was 40% hummus by volume at birth. <laughs> so I was hitting salad bars, but of course I couldn't eat any of the... Like, there's just a lot of stuff that makes eating healthy during pregnancy very interesting. Uh, but yeah, no. And then they get chided about, you know, that I'm not eating more greens. And I'm like, I'm just not eating carbs right now because that worked really well for me. And I, you know, and all this other stuff. So... I appreciate that part of the book. I still need to be skeptical and think through it. Is all. Right. Yeah. I hope that was mostly positive. <laughs> Absolutely no, and I think this this uh, if anything else, um, you know, the this oversimplifications, the the problems that it has, the confirmation bias potential, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I think at the very least, um, it is a book that is g- getting us thinking and, and encouraging and facilitating this conversation, which I feel like is a positive conversation for us to have. Uh, I look forward to when we get into the second half and we can sort of get into the recommendations that are being made and talk about those. Um, I ha- haven't read the second half, but I have suspicions about where it's going because I know what my wife did after she read it. So, uh, you know, um, uh, so I look forward to sort of seeing where that goes and, and what have you. But I think um, it's time with uh, we've been recording for an hour and 15 minutes. It's probably time to talk about our <laughs> Uh, our goals for <laughs> next month uh, and where we're going for the for the future. So uh, we'll go in reverse order that we did before. So and so I'll start off. Um, I've decided, especially after our conversation at the beginning of this episode, um, I'm not going to worry about my weight for the next month. But uh, I'm going to continue to focus on the running, um, the gym. In Indiana, the gym has reopened as of like today, um, but we've put a freeze on our on our uh, membership. They've allowed us to do that because we don't really want to go to the gym in the middle of, of all of this and what we've been seeing lately. Um, so I'm going to continue pushing the running. Uh, and my goal, I think my goals are I, w- I want to try to improve in my running to the point that I've reached uh, a 16-minute mile. Um, which I think is doable. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting pretty close, just a little bit over that most of the time uh, on most of my runs now. Uh, so I think that's a, an achievable goal. Um, and, uh, and I want to find something to do on the off days that, you know, the, even when I don't have the routine or whatever, I want to find something. If it's not yoga or whatever, although my son likes doing the yoga, I don't know how much I'm getting out of it, but he, you know, maybe if it's something that for him, that's fine. I'll, I'll figure out, I'll, I'll do it, but I want to find something to do in the off days. So, and then not beat myself up over not doing things on Sundays. I think it's okay to have one day a week that I'm not doing Absolutely. something. So, <laughs> so that's my goal. Uh, Tracy, what about you? I think, and I, I feel like I may have said this was the goal last time too, but it's slightly harder in the pandemic is to get um, the exercise back in, and it's slightly harder for me because both Fred and I are working the full time jobs and doing childcare duties. Um, because our our child's home full time, uh, and he's not even four yet, so it's not like I can go for a run with him. He's too big for a stroller and too small to to go fast. <laughs> so I I got to figure that part out, and that was like that. And I also have to just deal with the. I think eventually I have to deal with the emotions around 
the the pandemic stuff, um, part of the reason we ended up starting this was for about a month or so before uh, the lockdowns and stuff started happening was I actually had finally figured out a plan for how I could exercise every day, like a good 30 minutes to an hour and was doing it. And then all of it got swiped away. So, so that's going to be my, I think my big thing is just trying to figure out because it'll help with stress and it will help with, um, some of the other stuff. Sam, what's your, what's your goal for the next month? Uh, so, you know, I, I, um, I want to do something active every day and I had talked last episode about maybe starting up my Tai Chi cause I have a Tai Chi video that I used to do. Um, cause it really like make it makes my, it relieves my joints. Right. Um, cause it's slow and it's methodical and you, it's still like, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of like the, the intention there is for the same thing that Jeff is doing, saying about the yoga. That's what the Tai Chi would do for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to start that. I want to do it at least twice a week and I would like to walk every day. Um, when I say that the weather always gets in the way. <laughs> so I, 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 so that's why I say I would like to, um, but I won't beat myself up if I can walk four days a week and then do Tai Chi the other three or have some overlap there, Tai Chi and walk on certain days. And uh, I, I still, you know, I know weight is not the main thing, but I, I do want to make sure that I maintain sort of a downward or at least a plateau and not gain any. So it's not about the number. It's about right. being able to at least have something manageable that it feels okay for me. Um, and the reason for that is because, as I said last time, when I do lose weight and I, and I get below like 235, I sleep a lot better. And that's what I really, that's what I'm really looking for. So. I'm going to try to take David's advice and not weigh myself uh, at all before the next, uh, uh, even at, for the next recording. I'm not going to weigh myself then. I'll wait two months and and, re- and weigh myself and see where I'm at. But David, what are your what are your fitness goals? Where are you headed right now? Uh, so right now, the as it's getting very hot here in Los Angeles, continuing the the increased cardio is a big thing for me. Um, that's more for my heart health and everything than anything else. Um, and, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm watching my diet, uh, my dietary sugar intake. Like, as I said before, I'm a big candy and baked goods and cookies person. And this, uh, my stress level in the pandemic has been managed through, um, candy. Uh, and so I'm trying to exchange that for meditation and the things that I know that are better for my body. Um, so that's my big goal. Nice. Very good. All right, then I think we're going to go ahead and say that's where we're at for this month. If you have questions, you can find the show on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, as at The Tome Show, or you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. Uh, you can also ask ask us for our Discord link at any time, uh, where we have uh, a D&D fitness channel. In fact, I think it's pro- – I could probably argue – other than when, when Sam and Brandis go, go crazy back and forth about stuff, uh, the fitness channel, I think, is our most active channel uh, on the Discord server So uh, on, on any, any given day. So uh, definitely – Did you uh, see that bus? That bus just came and drove right <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, so, so I think uh, if, you, if you tweet at us or, uh, or email or whatever, we can definitely post you whatever the latest link is for the Discord, and we'd love to chat with you there. Uh, you can reach all of us individually on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, David, you are what, David Nett? David Nett, yeah, N-E-T-T, all one word. Very good. Tracy? At Sarah Dark Magic with an H. 
And Sam? Uh, at DM Samuel. All right. And Without that's an where... H. <laughs> Without an H. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we are on our fitness quest today. Uh, please come along and join us uh, for the next time as we build our geekiness and our health.